0: Welcome back to Trashy Divorces. Hey, friends. I'm Alicia. I'm Stacy.
1: We have two more listener requests this week in our Season 7 listener request continuation theme, both falling under the gaslighter theme.
0: You did a very clever titling here, gotta say.
1: I enjoyed it. I covered the five total Trashy Divorces of the
0: band The Chicks. Some are trashier than others. With special emphasis on one in particular, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And I covered the origin story of the term by covering the multiple trashy divorces of Ingrid Bergman, whose life was fascinating. Who I found out you had a little crush on today. Apparently, I do. Didn't know that. Apparently, I do.
1: Hey, let's go ahead and give some shout outs in the magic mirror. This week, we had some new folks on Patreon join us who got to hear the story of Rebecca Harkness. Mentioned in the new Taylor Swift album, I forgot to talk about that last week. Did a follow-up on Joan Fontaine this week, as well as our regular Nightcap chat. Oh, an episode a year in the making. I finally released my Counting Crows Zodiac Sun Sign set list, which is great. That is actually available for you, along with, I don't know, 30
0: other totally free episodes at... Bit.ly slash Trash Candy Quarantine. Yeah, I noticed you wanted to get that one out to the the whole public so that all of the Counting Crows superfans can superfan right along with you. I don't know
1: how many there are, but that's a hell of a set list. Hey, the Trash Candy Quarantine link is linked in the show notes mm. if you want to go there and find that. Yep. Magic
0: Mirror. Let's pull it out. Who's in it this week? Magic Mirror time. Thank you so much for joining us on Patreon. Tracy Kimmy K., Sean B. and Corey B. And Marie H., Megan M., Erin, Isabella SF. Y'all rock. Thank you so much for supporting us. We also have three new super supporters over on Patreon.com slash this week. Thank you so much to Tabitha L., Maureen S., and Amanda P.
1: Thanks. New patrons. Thanks, existing patrons. We love y'all. Y'all are the very best. Thanks for being part of Team Trash Candy. And to all of our returning listeners, thanks for coming back. Relax. We- Settle
0: in. We've got some good trash for you today. We're excited you're here.
1: Stacey, you want to take me away for some trash candy?
0: I mean, we'll always have Paris, but maybe we should go, go, go. Let's go, go, go. <laughs> so you have something relevant and much, much requested. Very timely So requested, y'all. I got the trashy
1: divorces of the chicks. Marty, Emily, and Natalie all together. And y'all really like the chicks. Everybody wants this story. Carrie A, Cohen JB, Emily D, Michelle EG, Rudy H, Kate H, Lindsay S, Megan LG, Meredith SB, Christy HS, Sochi Q, Kimber VN, Karen G, Riz M, Allison E. Heavily requested. And I get it. Marty, Emily, Natalie, badass gals, all three of them. They just had a new album come out right. this year, Gaslighter. Mm-hmm. Hence the name. Correct. Some parallels out there with the dissolution of Natalie's marriage that has happened during the writing of that album. There's so much twangy trash candy in this story. you ready to hitch a ride on my sin wagon? May as well. I love, okay. I love a good sin wagon. Dude, these, uh, but these girls aren't even the ones doing the sinning. So let's set the stage, so to speak. Marty and Emily, sisters. Marty's a Libra, born October the 12th. Her younger sister, Emily, comes along a few years later, August 16th. She's a Leo baby. Marty and Emily's parents are educators. They promote their girls and their artistic talents. Marty's playing violin by the age of five. She teaches herself how to play fiddle by the age of 12. Wow. Marty's winning fiddle competitions as a teenager. Girl can play. She plays violin, viola, acoustic guitar, double bass, mandolin, mandocaster, and like fiddle. She's so talented. Little sister Emily will start her violin prowess at the age of four. She's teaching herself banjo by the age of 10. Emily plays banjo, dobro, guitar, lap steel, bass, mandolin, accordion, and sitar. Like, there's Mm -hmm. not an instrument these two girls cannot play
0: trombone. (laughs) They
1: could probably play that too. (laughs) All right. So, Emily and Marty are busking all their way through high school for their spending money. That's cool. They make some bands. They reshuffle some bands. In 1995, they are going to add Libra gal, Natalie Maines, as lead vocalist in their band called the Dixie Chicks, and music history is made. Formerly known as the Dixie Chicks, the Chicks have five studio albums With these three together in their current formation and a total of
0: 13 Grammys. I gotta say, on a per-album basis, that is a super good haul. Super talented musicians.
1: The Dixie Chicks album comes out in 1998, self-titled. 1999 on the heels of that comes fly. 2002 comes home. It's a little bit of controversy, In 2003. I recall this. The Chicks will release their next studio album in 2006 called Taking the Long Way. This one's five Grammys. Yahtzee. Five Grammys. Sweeps them all. Mm -hmm. Five is ironically also the number of divorces between the three Chicks. Hmm. They take a 14-year break this year. 2020 Gaslighter comes out. But in between Taking the Long Way... And gaslighter. We have some trashy divorces. So let's go ahead and get two of the five divorces out of the way. As we were kids, it was the 90s. First up, Marty. Marty marries a pharmaceutical rep named Ted Seidel Mm -hmm. in June of 1995. They are divorced and out by November of 1999. One and done. Natalie. Natalie. Gets married in 1997 to her boyfriend from South Plains College. He's a bassist. His name is Michael Terabee. They moved to Nashville together. They're over and out within two years, citing irreconcilable differences. 1999, Marty, Natalie, divorce done between them. Let's end the 90s, ready to take on the world with this new super cool band. Next up. Emily. Emily is going to find her cowboy in the late 1990s. His name is Charlie Robeson, September 1st baby, Virgo man. Charlie originally plans on a football career, which actually crashes out with an injury in college before he could make it in the football game. So he's going to switch up his game and he is going to head to Austin and does the music thing, which happens. Charlie Robison, super talented.
0: I was going to say, I I feel like I've heard that name. Okay. Mm -hmm.
1: Charlie and Emily get married in May of 1999. Emily and Marty together, the sisters, will co-write Cowboy Take Me Away for the love that Emily and Charlie have. It's their song and it's very sweet. When they get married, they get married at this 25,000 acre ranch. Emily's 27, Charlie's 35, love is in the air. Emily wears a strappy Vera Wang gown and carries a heart-shaped bouquet of 150 roses. Super sweet. Natalie Maines is a bridesmaid at the wedding of Emily and Charlie, which is awesome. Is the
0: other chick also a bridesmaid? Well, yeah, she's her sister. Okay, gotcha. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> You know what? <laughs> so they're all there. That's what you're saying. All all three are present?
1: Yeah, they're definitely a bonded trio. Okay. They do the things together. They stick together. It is a friendship, I think, that works really well with the three of them. So, yes, Marty is there. She is a bridesmaid at Emily's wedding. So is Natalie Maids. Okay. If you have bridesmaids, you also have groomsmen. And Charlie has a groomsman there. One of those guys is a voice talent and actor by the name of Adrian Pazden. It's love at first sight between Natalie and Adrian.
0: And it's good luck if you meet someone at a wedding, right? Apparently not if you're a chick. Hmm.
1: Okay, so hold on to that for a second. I just want to let you know that it might be dangerous to go to a wedding where one of the chicks or their family members are getting married. Okay, but Emily and Charlie do the damn thing. They're very happy, get married in 1999, happily married, three kids, first kid, 2002, they have a set of twins in 2005, but in 2008, after nine years together, Emily and Charlie split, saying their marriage had become, quote, insupportable because of discord or conflict of personalities, unquote. Their divorce was finalized August of 2008, but it really isn't terribly trashy from what I can find. Charlie Robeson says, quote, it's not the fault of either one of us. We were just following our careers. That's pretty much why a lot of entertainment relationships don't work. Charlie goes on in the source since the split, they become friends again. They have dinner with their kids a few times a week. They take family vacations together. That's good. Super good. Yeah. Not even trashy. Happy to hear that. Charlie will let Emily, because he's writing a new album, he'll let Emily hear the songs that he's writing. Just because he doesn't want there to be any surprises. Like,
0: we're going through oh, a I breakup, see. Right, but right. I want to play this for you. Right. Is it going to be weird if this goes on a record? Yeah. Right. Like For the world. Trevor Robinson
1: totally seems like an all right, dude. Good musician. He's retired now. All right, guy. Okay. Emily and Marty are going to do some work together in a side band that they have called Courtyard Hounds. This is the early 2010s. Natalie is kind of taking a hiatus. Emily, on the heels of the divorce... We'll meet her new beau. It's a fellow by the name of Martin Strayer. They have a child together. They will get married in 2013. Emily and Martin, happy, going strong, wishing all the
0: best to them. No other divorces for Emily. Okay. Her one is done. I feel like she's maybe underachieving for purposes of our podcast, but okay. <laughs> okay. Let's get to the next wedding
1: that happens. We're going to go back to those young lovebirds, Natalie and Adrian, who met at the ranch wedding of Emily and Charlie. These two, instant, it's done. They get married in Las Vegas, Las Vegas wedding, June of 2000 at the Little White Wedding Chapel. Mm. They're going to have two boys, 2001 and 2004. Marriage success story. Marriage and kids and family and sticking it out through all the controversy in 2003. We're going to talk about that on Trashy Tidbits this week. Not addressing it in this episode. But everything's great. We're going to leave Natalie and uh, Adrian here for just a moment. Because we need to get Marty to her future groom. We can't just leave her as a bridesmaid and never a bride. Okay. Natalie Maines has a sister named Kim. And Kim is getting married to a dude named Shane. There are bridesmaids again. There are groomsmen again. And old Shane has a brother who is at the wedding. And sure enough, love is in the air again. (laughs) Marty is going to meet Northern Irishman Gareth Maguire. And it's fast. The song that the chicks will write that pays homage to this relationship is called White Trash Wedding. (laughs) It's a good song. Marty and Gareth are engaged June of 2001. They get married in August 2001. It is that That, fast. Yeah. Mm -hmm. The first ceremony, it's an evening ceremony in Hawaii. Natalie and Adrian have rented this private home for the event. Gareth is super Roman Catholic, but they can't get married in a church because Marty has that previous first divorce. So this Hawaiian ceremony... Very quiet. Marty and Gareth are going to have a second ceremony across the pond, which is the party to end all other parties that have ever happened in Ireland, apparently. That seems like a, a high bar. To- <laughs> <laughs> this party rages till like 5 a.m. And it's awesome. Marty and Gareth, their wedding marriage party rages for a long time, too. They'll have three daughters together. They do have some struggles with conception and will end up using IVF and vitro fertilization. The chick song So Hard is written about that. Marriage goes great for a while. Till it doesn't. And the couple divorces in 2013. They are still raising their kids together. Marty has not remarried. She's doing her own thing in stride. Rock on, Marty.
0: How many does that give us now? Ha, my next line. Okay, if you're keeping count, <laughs> we have one more divorce to go. Ah, you're on I was it. Like, I think that's
1: four. Okay. That's four. Whoa, baby. This is the this is the one. Natalie and Adrian have now been together seventeen years. Two kids. Been through it thick and thin. Through it all. Things are great. Now before they got married in the Las Vegas wedding in two thousand, They signed a prenup. Totally makes sense. That prenup stated that Natalie's money made from the chicks is just that. Natalie's money. Does not cross. Does not stream. That's the prenup. The couple will end up, because of his voice talent acting career, moving out to California. California is also a community property state. Yeah, it is. Mm Mm-hmm. And in 2017, the not-so-happy couple anymore has filed for divorce, citing the ever-classic, irreconcilable differences. Natalie files for main custody of the kids. There's a prenup. It should all go down pretty easy, right? He attacks the prenup, doesn't he? Totally. Adrian is like, yeah, about that prenup thing. Turns out I don't really think it's valid. And I would like a lot more money. Like $60,000 a month, which would be roughly like 16000 per month for child support, as well as 44000 a month in spousal support for me. Also, I'm impoverished. I'm in poverty. What? I have no money.
0: What kind of lifestyle do you require $44,000 a month? Of, of money. I mean, seven
1: hundred twenty thousand
0: dollars a year.
1: Essentially, with was sixty k a month. He also would like three hundred and fifty thousand dollars for his attorneys' fees. He would wither up and die if he had to live our lifestyle, wouldn't he? Yep. Adrian says Natalie is worth like fifty million dollars and she's the one who paid all the expenses and the mortgages they've got three properties worth a little less than 5 million
0: did he get this did he end up getting 60k we don't know. oh it's all very oh, I see. So quiet that would indicate that he he got something maybe he didn't get 60k a month but maybe he got just a ridiculous sum of money every month I think the lyrics of Gaslighter may shed a little bit more light on that in
1: just a moment.
0: So she wasn't inviting him over to hear the songs before putting them out in the world.
1: <laughs> uh, no, she was not. I think they were pretty much done. That's very interesting. They were funneling through the two-year-long court battle, right? Because he wants sixty k a month. He wants three hundred and fifty k for his attorney bills. He also says Natalie owes him $450,000 for retroactive financial support somehow. Okay, here's what's more fun. Adrian. she's the breadwinner, and I have sacrificed my career to take care of the kids. But it turns out if I look at his uh, resume, he hasn't stopped acting through that time. So Adrian again goes to the judge and then he's like, "Oh my god, I'm I'm in poverty." Well, Adrian didn't claim $400,000 of income that he made personally in 2018 into the divorce paperwork. Wow.
0: Mm-hmm. So all of this is in court. 400 like that is not an oversight. Four hundred thousand dollars in income for years, yeah, not an oversight. I d- yeah, I did. not Yeah, you don't. Okay, Natalie's 4, mad. maybe, but yeah, four hundred. Th- and then, oh, that half mil. I mean, <laughs> oopsie.
1: Understandably, Natalie's a little mad. She says this is a transparent attempt to secure an unfair litigation advantage. This is costing me just a lot of time and money. Yeah, you haven't even heard the best part.
0: Oh. Uh, well, it's already
1: so good. So they file in 2017. Like, God bless Natalie mm. Maines. They file in 2017. Oh, I'm in poverty. Oh, I need all of these millions and I have like lies. Lie, 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 lie. lie. Okay. Then allegedly, <laughs> Adrian goes to the judge and he's like, hey, uh, in that prenup, there's a confidentiality clause that you can't write about me or any of the things. And... Uh, what? Uh, wh- so the prenup that you're arguing is not valid. I you need now you to, need enforced. need
0: you to toss the
1: prenup to accept this one line. He tries to halt Gaslighter from coming out in court. Right. Because he... Is this why? Because the album did get delayed, right? Mm-hmm. Is this... Well, it got delayed because of COVID. Right. There was some covid yeah. things that happened to delay it. But he goes to court like, nah, you can't. And so all of the chicks have been very tight-lipped. Like, you know, this album is a journey. It is not about anything in particular.
0: Just random musings on it's how shitty people can be. Random musings
1: on relationships and the journey of life. <laughs> in October 2019, so two years Court, 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 money, money, attorneys, God bless it all. They finally come to an agreement. The details of this agreement are undisclosed. It is sealed within the court.
0: That's for the next album. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) This is called 60K a month. It's not really about anything. (laughs) I'll I'll let you make your your (laughs) own estimations. Just spitballing some numbers. (laughs) The
1: final... Divorce happens December of 2019. No one's talking about the details. They're calling it a private family matter. Again, not available publicly how that pre-nup, final money shakedown all settled down. However, if life imitates art, or art imitates life, let me share with you uh, some fantastic... Absolutely unrelated lyrics from the new album. Made up out of my own imagination lyrics. Not about anything. the chick's new album, Gaslighter. Natalie will go on Howard Stern and say, quote, As far as relationship songs go in our minds, the way we laid it out on the record, it kind of takes you through a journey. Unquote. None of this is about my ex-husband. I'll let you decide. This is from the song Gaslighter. Give you all my money, you'll gladly walk away. Because, boy, you know exactly what you did on my boat. And, boy, that's exactly why you ain't coming home. Now, I really want to know what Adrian did on the boat.
0: I think we can guess.
1: Also, the boat's name is Nottaly. Not Natalie. Nottaly. I love boat names. (laughs) They really do delight me. Another one of my favorite lines from Gaslighter. You made your bed, and then your bed caught fire. Wow. Ouch. There's some scorn. There's some fury. That's why I don't make beds. (laughs) One of my particular favorites, if we're going to continue on the nautily boat theme, Mm -hmm.
0: it's
1: from a song called Tights on My Boat.
0: (laughs) What is it about, you think?
1: (laughs) I hope you die peacefully in your sleep. Just kidding. I hope it hurts you like you hurt me. Wow. I hope that when you think of me, you can't breathe. I hope you never find a sock to match the other one. Hey, will your dad pay your taxes now that I'm done? (laughs) Oof. You can tell the girl who left her tights on my boat that she can have you now.
0: I think she might want to sell the Nautilie and pick up something (laughs) new. (laughs) Seems like the boat's got a lot of bad associations now.
1: You're gonna get what's coming to you. You are, you are. Tights on my
0: boat. Hmm. Solid song. It's another song called Sleep at Night. Can we adopt this album as the unofficial Trashy Divorces anthem? It is, the, it is anthem not even unofficial. <laughs> it is the
1: official Trashy Divorces soundtrack. Hands down. Sleep at Night. Maybe about cheating. Here's some lines. My husband's girlfriend's husband just <laughs> called me up. How messed up is that? It's so insane I have to laugh.
0: Yeah, just random, not really about anything. The
1: chorus of this song Sounds is like- How Do You Sleep at Night. There's lots of stuff about double lives and lies. Mm. There's a ballad called Everybody Loves You. Where Natalie sings, why does everybody love you? They don't know the things I do. It's my body and I'm trying to forgive you. I don't want to. It's my body and it hates you. Wow. Yeah. hmm It's a little bit of a, maybe a made up age difference because there are 10 years between Natalie and Adrian. There's a song called My Best Friend's Weddings, which uh, Natalie sings in 20 years, 20 years, 20 years. Yeah, I'll still be younger than you. (laughs) 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 Another one. Hmm. Hope it's something good. It's the title of this song. We're getting to the brighter side of divorce now. Song lyric, highs and lows, we fought out our wars with silence. I'd have called you out, but baby, I knew you'd deny it. After so long, I learned to hold my tongue. And now that you're done, I get to write this song. Also, I hope your new lover is
0: really worth it. It's the Trashy Divorces theme album, hands down. I have to say, like, some of the, like, really, really bad divorces, I... I can completely understand why people choose not to get married at all. Like some of those stories are harrowing. This one is harrowing. Um, even before you get to the, and then she wrote an album about it. <laughs> Allegedly You can't verify that. <laughs> Certainly a work of fiction. Yes.
1: Art imitates life. Life imitates art.
0: Maybe. Allegedly. It's hard to see where
1: that line gets unblurred.
0: Allegedly. <laughs>
1: So Natalie Maines is currently single. Kids, good for her. <laughs> out of the house, the best thing that sounds I found. Sounds out hard fought to me in the research of this story that Natalie has adopted a rescue dog, and the rescue rescue dog's name is Emmy Lou Cricket, <laughs> and she's fresh, super fresh, and Natalie's doing just fine. Thank you very much. She's on the lookout, I think, to get laid. I don't think she's on the lookout to get married, but she's scoping to have some fun and. We can all appreciate that.
0: I do love the chicks. I know you do. You have a personal story from from the previous era, the before times, about them that I'm sure will go on tidbits. Thank you,
1: Marty, Emily, and Natalie, for making incredible music that we can all identify with. Speaking your minds, being brave. Five divorces total here. Again, not altogether too trashy, four of them, except for that one that's super trashy. So I for the first four, four trash cans total for all the divorces and Aren't Natalie and Adrian. Thirteen trash cans <laughs> for that one, the current number of the chicks' Grammys. Hmm. And all thirteen of those trash cans are on a boat. And all of those trash cans are filled with one half of each sock pair. And one half of each shoe pair too, but the sock and the shoe for each pair don't match. (laughs) Okay. Hey, you date a creative, you are very likely to be the creative inspiration for work that
0: that creative may make. I like imagining a boat full of only left shoes. (laughs) And right socks. (laughs) It's fantastic.
1: Hey, you take your risks when you date a creator. Uh... It's on you, man. Yeah. You can't have a prenup both ways either. That is the most baffling part to me. How Natalie Maines did not just light fire to everything because of her anger. Sounds like she did. Well, (laughs) Gaslighter. Again, hell of an album. Gaslighter if you need to get into those kind of feels. Well done, chicks. Big trashy love to the three of you. As well as all of our trash pandas who may understand
0: what that trashy divorces feeling feels like yeah those are the trashy divorces of the chicks all right hey thanks for everyone who requested that good lord um y'all like it that's a good story trashy should we take a break come back with the origin of the term gaslight let's do it it's science no it's art Hey Trash Pandas, when you need a brain break from your day, let me recommend the game June's Journey for Android and iPhone. It's a hidden object mystery game where you are solving a murder, uncovering family secrets, and, I don't know, exposing official corruption? All in an extremely stylish 1920s setting. Every scene takes you deeper into the mystery and introduces you to an expansive cast of characters as June Parker explores the questions surrounding her sister's apparent murder-suicide at the family's beachfront estate. Add your own elements to the island, from lush gardens to gorgeous new buildings. This story has so many twists and turns. Right now, we are on a global journey attempting to rescue June's niece, Virginia. It's a great combo of gameplay. It's a memory puzzle, a design project an intriguing storyline with genuinely fabulous art. When you want to let your mind wander, relax into this glorious 1920s murder mystery and get lost in the fun. Discover your inner detective when you download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android.
1: Oh, Stacy, you're bringing us the trashy divorces today of the very lovely... Ingrid Bergman?
0: I am. I am doing that. She's so lovely. She's so lovely. She was such a talented actress. Not a great mom. Oh, no. Well. Let's get into it. Let's get into it. (laughs) So last year we covered Elizabeth Taylor's many, many loves with Erica Kelly from Southern Fried True Crime. And it was pretty clear to me that for both of you, she was like the prototypical Hollywood beauty. She was not that for me. Ingrid Bergman probably no, is that The one for that me, gives you the
1: Zaza Zooms.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, I, I'm sure that Casablanca was one of them, but like, I can't specifically tell you which of her movies I probably sat on the couch with my parents and watched as a kid, but I think there were a lot of them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> probably with Cary Grant, too. Like, she was in, I think, Notorious. She was in some Hitchcock movies with him and a rom com. Anyway. I know I came from a big Cary Grant-loving household, so... Anyway, when I started researching this story, it was, there was a lot of nostalgia, so I want to say a shout-out to Christy HS for recommending this particular Trashy Divorces story, because it really delivers. Ingrid Bergman is, of course, one of the biggest stars of the 20th century, a three-time Academy Award winner, Oh wow! and an artist whose career spanned five decades... None other than legendary producer David O. Selznick, the man behind Gone with the Wind and Rebecca, among a thousand other classic movies, brought her to America and Hollywood fame. Really? Yes. And I know you are working on a piece about his trashy split from his wife Irene for Patreon. Just know that David O. Selznick and Irene Selznick, even after their divorce, were like huge friends to Ingrid Bergman and big boosters of her career throughout. That's great. Mm -hmm. Nice. Ingrid Bergman was also a thrice-married, thrice-divorced person whose affair and pregnancy with Italian director Roberto Rossellini effectively landed her in Hollywood jail. Scandal! And she spent years abroad while America got its head around oh, the scandal. It was, yeah, pretty scandalous at the time. Yeah, she was like the Swedish-America's sweetheart, and then... And then she betrayed us all. She, she was, was not. She was not. She was born on the 29th of August, 1915 in Stockholm. Oh, Virgo Sweden. Girl. She's a Virgo. Her father was Swedish. Her mother was German. And Ingrid spent her childhood summers in Germany. She was fluent in the language. She was fluent in five languages. Oh, um, wow. She picked up Italian midway. <laughs> Unfortunately, her mother would die when she was three. Oh. Her father died when she was 13. Oh, wow. That's some tragedy. She went to live with an aunt on her dad's side, who dropped dead six months later. Like, this is, I think that these losses sort of formed a particular type of personality that did not attach too tightly to things. <laughs> People. Cross the Mago on your bingo card <laughs> off now. So from there, she went to live with her mother's sister and her husband. They had five kids of their own. She was close to another aunt on her mom's side. So, you know, big family, like, but really key losses at an early age. Her father was a photographer who had dreamed of her becoming an opera singer, which is how she got kind of introduced to to that world. He he had her take vocal lessons. and Interesting. Mm -hmm. She always wanted to be an actress, and as a teen, she received a scholarship to Sweden's Royal Dramatic Theatre School, which is extremely prestigious. It was founded in 1788, I saw. I was like, wow, where stuff sticks around for a long time. Her talent was undeniable, and she leapfrogged the system at the school, landing a part in her first year, something that was not supposed to happen until year three. Oh, wow. But that was just the beginning. In the summer after her first year, she was hired by a Swedish film studio and landed her first film role in 1935's Monkbrugreven, which I think we all remember that one. How can it was we, on the tip of my tongue. How can we forget Monkbrugreven? <laughs> I kid. Sounds like a cheese. It sort of does sound like a cheese. <laughs> it may be a cheese. I don't know. I know we have Swedish listeners, so let us know if that's a cheese. <laughs> all right. So she left school. I mean, she was working as an actor now. She didn't need to be in the school anymore. And for the next few years, she just made films in Sweden and Germany. And also at the age of 21, she got married for the first time. So I'm not sure if this is pronounced Peter, P-E-T-T-E-R. I'm going to go with Peter because that feels most natural to me. Could be Petter? It could be Petter. It could be Peter. It's, I'm not sure how the Swedes pronounce the E. It's really our pronunciation paralysis that it, I know that's that tunes what listeners brings in, brings people in mm-hmm. and then keeps them. <laughs> Peter Aaron Lindstrom was born March 1st, 1907, and is a Pisces. He was a dentist who would go on to become really a quite celebrated neurosurgeon in the United States. Together, they had a daughter, Pia, born 20 September 1938, another Virgo, like her mom. Peter was eight years older than his bride. Seems like he was a fairly stern, kind of rules based guy, and he had a, a genuine belief that, like, particularly in the home, there is an order of things upon which he sat at the top. And I don't know it. He was apparently also a great dancer, and he owned his own car. So at I mean, at twenty one, those are mm-hmm. very attractive he, things. He was not without his charms. Also, Virgo and Pisces are opposing signs. That makes them so a good fit, right?
1: I, there's going to be something great about that fit and something rotten about that fit. Hmm. It's tricky. Opposing signs.
0: I, I really, I think the childhood of just like loss, 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 loss is really
1: probably had more to do with it than the zodiac.
0: I, that's my thought. Okay, 1938, 1939. Um, David O. Selznick, who also had brought Alfred Hitchcock to Hollywood from mm-hmm. England, like he, boy, he was just like mover and a shaker. Art knows no... Film knows no borders. Anyway, he had seen this 1936 Swedish film called Intermezzo and decided that oh, he... Oh, such a good film. He decided he needed its lead actress, Ingrid Bergman, to come to America and star in the English-language remake that he was planning. Of course. She arrived in America in May 1939, and Solznik's son was later quoted on his dad's first impressions of the young actress who stayed at their family home until she found other accommodations. Quote... She didn't speak English. She was too tall. Her name sounded too German, and her eyebrows were too thick, he said. Ingrid Bergman was five foot nine. Well, that is a lot of impressions, David it's of a, lot, it's a lot of a lot of impressions. Ingrid was kind of freaked out by the idea of makeup artists, and I think only because she was ridiculously beautiful without much help from makeup artists, Selznick was like, okay, you know what, like, all you stylists, just... Let her do her thing. Like, she's gorgeous. So, we're just gonna go with that. She was apparently wonderful to have on set. She was incredibly diligent, and you will be surprised to learn that the probably all male crew bent over backwards to do things for her all the time. No, I'm not. She's a Virgo, organized. She's not gonna
1: show up a unprepared. I'm sure right. her good looks didn't hurt with that. And yeah, at all.
0: that's my point. Yeah, um, yeah she's like unnaturally beautiful and like who wouldn't be like do you need a cup of water you are
1: blushing you really like her don't
0: you I apparently I do okay so Selznick writes a letter to his publicity director like here's some angles for promoting our new talents and so he says like She practically never leaves the studio and she suggested that her dressing room be equipped so that she could live here during the picture because she didn't want to ever leave. She never suggests like, oh, it's six o'clock. It's time to go home. Intermezzo was being filmed at the same time that Gone with the Wind was. And so all of the like big dressing rooms had gone to the big stars on Gone with the Wind. So she got like a smaller dressing room. But apparently she was ecstatic about like maybe... The Swedish film set she'd worked on just hadn't really had much in the way of of dressing rooms. Might not have been Hollywood, per se. Might not have been Hollywood. And he goes on, like, he's like, none of this is an act. Like, this is, she is genuinely just this cool and this awesome. And so he wanted the publicity to focus on her, quote, natural sweetness and consideration and conscientiousness and the fresh and pure personality and appearance which caused me to sign her. Can I ask a quick question? Sure. Where's her husband? Glad you asked. <laughs> um, Peter and Pia stayed in Sweden for this trip. Oh, okay. But when Salznick's intermezzo was a big success, California beckoned. So by 1940, Ingrid was more or less based on the West Coast. And Peter and Pia came over soon after, but they settled in Rochester, New York, where he studied medicine because he he was a dentist when they got married. Um, so he would go to med school here Later, he would move to San Francisco for his internship and then to L.A. for his residency. And okay, so
1: they're fairly disconnected. There's not mm-hmm. a lot going on yeah. with the marriage at this time. Anyway.
0: Yeah, she's filming a lot. Uh, she'll go stay with him in Rochester when she's not working on a film. So sometimes that's for a few days. I think sometimes that was for a few months at a time. But yeah, he... I, I think... I yes, they had their own things going on. He was not interested in Hollywood... That just didn't appeal to him. This was not going to work out long-term, right? Like if she had failed as an actor, it might've worked out long-term, but there was no way that once she was Ingrid Bergman film star, that this was going to last. Casablanca, where she starred with Humphrey Bogart, cemented her star status in 1942. So Sure did. Yeah. She's Se- lovely. Seeds of doom planted for the, oh, good. For the first marriage. Oh, good, good, good. She won her first Oscar. The doom is just laying there right on the stage. Okay. Yeah, she won her first Oscar in this period as well for 1944's Gaslight. Ah,
1: oh, um, so
0: good. Yeah. So Charles Boyer. Yes. Yeah. The film was based on a play of the same name that was written in 1938 by Patrick Hamilton. I think he's a, a British playwright. And so it's really interesting. This piece of art contributed the name for the form of abuse that psychology now defines as gaslighting. Ingrid plays the wife of Charles Boyer or Charles Boy's character, whose husband is trying to make her think she's insane by manipulating the environment and then denying that anything has become different. He does a pretty good job, too. Have you ever seen Gaslight? Again, I- I'm sure I did as a kid.
1: So good. It
0: sounds great. So specifically, hence the name of the play, he will dim the gaslights in the home and then, like, insist that they have not, the lighting hasn't changed. How crazy-making... Or you did it.
1: There aren't um, any st- there aren't any sounds coming from the attic. Everything she is fully convinced. Like she
0: gets reality mm-hmm. and he
1: Right. Oh, it's a great movie.
0: Yeah, I'm guessing cults do a lot with gaslighting techniques to keep It m- is a proven psychological
1: technique.
0: Yeah. Ingrid meanwhile was living this whole other and extremely liberated life away from Peter. While she worked. For instance, she had a short affair with Spencer Tracy during filming of Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde in 41. No! She had another with a war photographer she met while entertaining the troops in 45. What? And another with director Victor Fleming while shooting Joan of Arc in 48. Seriously? There was a short affair with Gregory Peck, her co-star in Spellbound, in 1945. Oh my god! She's an actress who falls in love with her co-stars or... I don't know if she, I don't know if it was love like I really I
1: interesting
0: she was just kind of living life like any male film star did
1: why the double she just, standard
0: and she just wasn't male <laughs> and apparently Peter knew some of what was going on he thought she would reform I don't know why he thought that as her star was rising and she's winning academy awards and like I don't know why he thought like oh Definitely, she's She'll gonna check back she's to me, gonna... the
1: solid, reliable dentist. She def- def- gaslights her. She's
0: definitely gonna turn this around. I don't know if he gaslit her. Like that was <laughs> <It's> a movie. <laughs> anyway, 1948, 1949. He was unfortunately thrust into a scandal of his wife's making that he really never he never really got over this, and it affected him professionally. Like when he would apply for jobs years later when they figured out who he was in relation to this like incredibly big scandal. He would like, people would rescind job offers
1: like universities would.
0: Yeah. It was, this followed him for the rest of his life and he was mad about it. And like, uh, anyway, not his fault. Ingrid had seen some Roberto Rossellini films. Um, He's born May 8th, 1906 and is a Taurus. She loved them, and she wrote him a letter asking to make a film with him. An affair commenced oh, in my. 1948. Like, they went to like, Peter went with her. They, the family went to Paris to meet him for the first time, whatever. By August 1949, she had, like, all the way run off to Italy to be with her married lover. Oh, right. And Russell oh. was married. He'd end up with an annulment down the road, but... Bury the lead on that one, Stacy. <sighs> well, just that they're both married probably fine hooray yeah e- even better she would eventually become pregnant with roberto's child this was an outrage the house on american activities committee no like condemned her senator edwin johnson of colorado took to the senate floor to denounce ingrid's quote assault upon the institution of marriage and called her quote one of the most powerful women on earth today i regret to say a powerful influence for evil
1: this is a full decade before Elizabeth Taylor got condemned mm. by the church and had all of that nonsense. With like, there's no new story under the sun. Yeah. You go, Ingrid.
0: Ingrid begged Peter for a divorce and to be able to see Pia, but he refused. Like, he wouldn't mm. let Pia go to Italy to be part of this, like, like improper you may not go meet Roberto. Love yeah. Yeah. Like, And like she wouldn't, they tried to arrange a trip to, they would take Pia to England and then Ingrid could come to England and hang out with her and that didn't happen. I I don't know. So she was sort of stranded in Rome. She has a PR guy who's also a really good friend of hers named Joe Steele. And Joe is trying to manage the scandal about the affair and does not know that she's pregnant. Oh no. So... Suddenly, there's this persistent rumor that she is pregnant, and Steele's like, oh my god, we gotta get rid of that. So he reaches out to Hedda Hopper, who coincidentally had arrived in Rome right then, I guess, for vacation or, or whatever. And he's like, hey, Hedda, how about you go sit with him? Because this pregnancy rumor we don't want to have this floating around. Like, it's garbage. Go, Go meet with her and tell the world. Like this happens. So oh, no. Hedda and Ingrid met, and after studiously not talking about it for a few minutes, Hedda Hopper says, What's all this about you being pregnant? I'm guessing it's that mid-Atlantic nonsense. She totally sounds like that. <laughs> yeah, I'll stop trying to do accents. Ingrid replied, Oh, my goodness, Hedda, do I look it? With a laugh. Just played it off. Like, oh, if I put on some weight... <laughs> Like how rude!
1: Right? We're a teen.
0: Yeah, I mean she's five nine. She was like two and a half months pregnant. She she wasn't really showing. Not yet. showing. Yeah. So Hedda writes a column and scolds all those gossips back home, and everything calms down for like a minute. Fake news. I've met with her. There's nothing to see here. Totally. How did
1: Hedda Hopper react when she found out that was in fact not the case?
0: Oh, it's not just. Oh, oh. there's. It's a chef's kiss of awful. Um, so the apartment that they were living in in Rome, I mean, she's Ingrid Bergman, it's surrounded by photographers at all times. And so she's just like kind of trapped inside for the most part, particularly as she begins to start showing. And he's off shooting a movie. Like it was just a really isolating time. She can't see her kid. Like it just sounds terrible. I've just been eating a lot of
1: mice burden cheese was the I don't, I
0: don't know <laughs> or pasta it's Italy you know meanwhile it's getting closer to Christmas and she finally reached out to Joe Steele and was like hey uh, if you hear that pregnancy rumor again um don't threaten to sue because we'll lose so that's oh <clears throat> no that's how that happened. Here's a little spider web for Howard Hughes. You covered him last what, year. What, jewelry tray guy? And yes, Howard Hughes, the, the weird genius of the 20th century who, yeah, he would show up at parties with a tray of jewelry and try to like use that as his entree to talk to beautiful women, which probably worked. Okay, so the movie that Ingrid had made with Roberto Rossellini was called Stromboli. And at that very moment as she has let Joe Steele know that she's pregnant, Stromboli was at RKO Studios in Hollywood in post-production. Howard Hughes had taken control of RKO the year before. So Joe Steele calls up Howard Hughes, the jewelry tray guy, and says, hey, you might want to get Stromboli out the door sooner rather than later because like, all of that scandal that you've been dealing with, it's it's about to get way worse. It's going to get... So much worse. Oh, no. So Howard Hughes is outraged because this means that Ingrid Bergman won't be able to work for a while. You're a fine one to talk, Lucille. (laughs) So Howard Hughes picks up the phone and he Mm. calls not Hedda Hopper, but her rival, the much more sanctimonious. Luella Parsons. And moralizing (gasps) Luella Parsons, who publishes a story on her Rome pregnancy the next day. Hedda Hopper is furious about being lied to by Ingrid Bergman and also by being scooped by Luella Parsons, so she herself jumps in the mix and launches a public shaming campaign against Ingrid having a baby out of wedlock with a married man, like the whole lurid thing. My god. It was not great. And Stromboli did poorly at the box office. Calzone was really good, though. Super successful. Okay. Okay. She gives birth, over in Rome, to Renato Roberto Renaldo Giusto Giuseppe Rossellini. Apparently, as a child, they called him Robin. Okay. In February of 1950, and soon after... Get your bingo cards ready. She was granted a Mexican divorce no. by proxy. Bingo. Because Peter wouldn't give her a divorce in the U.S. Oh. And then because of I think jurisdictional stuff, like I guess they were technically only divorced in Mexico. She also wed Roberto by proxy in Mexico. Mexican divorce, Mexican wedding by proxy. Perfect. I mean, outstanding we seen proxy
1: since Tudor times. We great. haven't.
0: Yeah, I think that's her first appearance here in the modern era. According to a, this was according to a 1959 New York Times story on their later custody fight. Spoilers. Hmm. So the day of that wedding where two people in Mexico got married on their behalf (laughs) as their proxies. um, What does that classified ad look like? You gotta wonder. (laughs) So yeah, the day of that wedding, they planned to exchange vows in a church in Rome. Like they were going to do it at the same time, noting the time difference. But it turns out that Roberto's kind of a dick bag, so he was really, really, really late. And by the time he did show up, the church had closed for the night. Oh no! But also, he was sort of an adventurous and dashing man, and so he found another church that was still open, and they went and did it anyway. Like, well, of course he didn't. Yeah, like uh, I think, I think that little anecdote is very much what happened in their relationship. Like he would ruin what they'd planned, but then come up with some fun thing to make up for it. And anyway, Ingrid would not see her daughter Pia again until she turned 18 and came to Rome to visit her against her father's wishes. Oh my God. Yeah. Yeah. Pia was apparently quite affected by her mother's abandonment and by her father's anger. Peter would later tell a Bergman biographer that he regretted that he had not told the world about the real Ingrid Bergman, the hard drinking, chain smoking, promiscuous woman who had no interest in her own children and only lived to act wow yeah so peter died in 2000 at the age of 93 having had a long career as a pioneering brain surgeon and with a 45 year long marriage to his second wife with oh him, that's nice with whom he had four more children yeah oh, that's great um, and he still he died mad about it he died mad about
1: it wow he after died. 45 years with a nice lady and mm-hmm, four kids four other kids yep. you shouldn't have you have you you should try some therapy with this chick's album well, and he outlived her by eighteen years. Unbelievable! Like, I can't believe he died mad about it. He died
0: mad about it. <laughs> Listen to gaslighter, dude. Maybe he didn't. I mean, it. He he clearly was still saying mean things about his ex, having some unprocessed feelings. Later, yeah. And again, I mean, if you know, if you have job offers rescinded because we don't want to be kind of shitty i don't want this institution associated with your scandal when it was your wife like you didn't do anything (laughs) you were raising your kid just going to dental school yeah Yeah, raising a a kid brain surgeon wow (laughs) uh all right so uh pia worked as a broadcaster at wnbc in new york won a bunch of awards during her career i think she was a film critic oh that's great Um, and she's retired now and living in manhattan so it seems like part of the issue that made the affair with Rossellini intolerable to Americans was exactly that, like, natural and wholesome image that David O'Selznick had first seized on. She had played Joan of Arc the year before the scandal broke. She had played a nun in the Bells of St. Mary or something. Mm-hmm. Like, she had this very...
1: Wholesome reputation. Wholesome image,
0: yeah, yeah, and suddenly, you know, worth noting... Not- that. Yeah, worth noting, too, that America was on the leading edge of that dullest and most conformist of decades, the 1950s. So over the next few years, she appeared in several of Roberto's films. I think Journey to Italy is really the only one that anyone cares about. She also gave birth to twin daughters, Isada and Isabella Rossellini, although I think Isada goes by Ingrid today. Um, Interesting. In 1952. Despite the intensity at the beginning of their relationship, they were a terrible fit. There were money problems. He was a workaholic, a chauvinist, and a womanizer who chose not to be interested in his wife's interior life at all. Roberto wanted her to stay home, and with no work, she started drinking more heavily than she... How will I drink smoke and fuck? Come on. Right. Have you met me? So they just kind of were miserable together, I think. He was always like... Sneaking out to go have affairs and staying at the studio, cutting his movie until late and then whatever. It was, it just, it was bad. So in 56 or 57, Roberto had an affair with a woman that he would go on to marry. And so they split up. Apparently they stayed really good friends. Like, I don't think Ingrid Bergman was a grudge holder. Say Not like Peter. (laughs) No. No. (laughs) They would have kind of a bitter custody fight uh, over robin and the two and the two girls this went through a bunch of rounds in italian courts and ultimately she really I, I think she moved to paris and she sent the kids to just go live with your dad he takes these kids and he gets them an apartment near the home he's sharing now with his new wife what with a maid and a nanny i was just like what in the hell is going on so the kids have their own apartment Yeah. Okay. Yeah. With paid staff.
1: We always pick the music.
0: (laughs) Wow. Yeah. Just weird. So uh, he would go on to um, his, he and the new wife separated in 1973 and he died in June of 1977. But yeah, apparently he and Ingrid were close until the day he died. Fascinating. Two marriages done. Notably though, with the end of that relationship, Ingrid was kind of welcomed back to Hollywood. I think I think that it's coincidental, the timing there, but she starred in 1956's Anastasia, which was like the big Hollywood comeback. It was filmed in Europe, but it was a studio movie. And this won her a second Best Actress Oscar. So this kind of wrapped up her time in the wilderness. She would win a third Oscar in 1974 for Best Supporting Actress for Murder on the Orient Express. Wow, that was a good film. She would marry one more time, um, I think 58. It looks like I didn't write it down. But it was right after things with uh, Roberta wrapped up. So the third and final marriage was to Lars Schmidt, who is June 11, 1917, Well, Gemini. This was a wealthy Swedish businessman and theater producer. And the marriage seemed really solid. Like it, they had the same interests. He had at one point come to New York and Was really, he owned a bunch of theaters in Europe and was, he knew uh, like Rogers and Hammerstein, whatever. He knew a bunch of the main theater people in New York City. Seemed solid, but she was continuing to work a lot, which meant that they were apart a lot. And in 1969, Lars struck up an affair with a Swedish aristocrat. Oh, no. Named Christina Belfrage. Oh, my. uh, Ingrid and Lars divorced in 1975. And he would go on to have at least one child with his mistress. Again, they stayed close. He was with Ingrid Bergman in London when she died of breast cancer on her 67th birthday. Oh, my. On August 29, 1982. Wait, she's born and died on the same day? Yeah. Yeah. So Isabella Rossellini, actress, filmmaker, like just kind of interesting person, um, person on the laminated card on Friends for Ross's. What was that freebie? Oh yeah, it's five freebies. Yeah. Also,
1: the face of Lancome, Isabella Rossellini. Mm
0: -hmm. Oh, she yes, she has been a model because she when she was young she looked she was a ringer for her mother. So as noted, Ingrid Bergman, beautiful. Anyway, so Isabella Rossellini
1: Rossellini on your
0: laminated card? (laughs) She is not okay. (laughs) Isabella Rossellini has been in the interesting position of kind of championing the legacies of her famous but incredibly flawed parents. Interesting. Her twin sister is not a public figure. And I, their brother, I don't think, has either. And, like, again, Pia had this, like, eight-year gap with her mom. Like, I think that there is a lot of reason to look at the facts of Ingrid Bergman's life and conclude that she was a pretty terrible mother. But that is not actually how Isabella describes her. In 2016, she told the Irish Examiner... I was born with a spinal deformity, and I always had to have complicated spinal operations. The latest one was five years ago, and I missed my mother terribly because she was the perfect nurse. I had my first operation when I was 13 years old, and I was sick for two years, so my mother took complete care of me. So it's like all of her kids, actually, there's a documentary out there, and all of her kids seem to hold her in really high regard in spite of, like, I guess she was like super great to hang out with when they could hang out with her. Ingrid Bergman, the coolest chick in the world. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, in the entertainment world, like her face is as well known as literally any other. In 2015, the Cannes Film Festival, she served as president of the jury for the 1973 Cannes Film Festival, celebrated her 100th birthday by using her image as its poster for that year. They also screened the documentary called Ingrid Bergman in her own words using archival material that she had collected over her life and as she neared death had organized with the help of the kids.
1: Oh, that's fantastic. So,
0: trashy? Yes. Although, again, it really just sounds like she was basically living the standard male lifestyle of a Hollywood star from any era. Like, any. Pick an era. I'm going to give this one seven years of trash cans for the length of time that Ingrid Bergman was basically in exile Aww. for the crime of going and getting herself some. So... Ingrid Bergman, what a story. That was awesome. Fascinating life. I don't understand a custody fight that ends with you winning and then renting an apartment for your kids to live in. That's so strange to me.
1: (laughs) This is a week full of oddities on (sighs) Trashy Divorces.
0: Lots going on.
1: Y'all, thanks everybody for tuning in. Hope you enjoyed those stories as much as we enjoyed telling them to you. Thanks for hanging out with us for an hour. Yeah, y'all rock.
0: If you need more trash candy in the meantime, you can check us out on patreon.com slash trashy divorces, or you can check out a bunch of stuff we've pulled from behind the paywall over there by going to bit.ly slash trash candy quarantine. I really defeated the short link concept with that one. Anyway, I think that is it for us this week. Yeah, until we talk to you again. Keep it trashy. Keep the paws clean. Oh, so clean. Scrub it up. And we'll see you next week.
1: Clean hands, trashy hearts, friends. Bye. Bye. And thanks to you for listening. Trashy Divorces is a Hemlock Creatives production created and produced right here in Atlanta, Georgia by us, Stacey and Alicia, with a little research and writing help from the brilliant Melissa O.
0: Our art is by Sydney V. Smith. That's Sydney V. Smith at carbonmade.com. And our music is used with permission of Ratsy.